Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look at the latest episode of racism in European football, as three black England players all suffered abuse in the hours after missing penalties against Italy in the Euro 2020 final. And we hear from Nigeria international Joel Obi with his reflections on racial abuse that he received from a fellow player in Italy. If it happens to you, have to speak up. Yeah, it's important because if you keep keeping quiet, nobody's going to speak for you. You have to speak up. So that's coming shortly. And also, as a Simba of Tanzania reported a big loss from playing in the group stage of the Champions League, we ask whether the competition is about making money or the prestige of playing on the continent. And with the Euro 2020 final decided on penalties, with the heartache for the England fans and players, we look at how penalty shootouts became the way of deciding tied finals, and ask if there's any better alternative. But first, with Raja Casablanca of Morocco having won the Confederation Cup final last weekend, it's on to the Champions League final now between Al Ahly of Egypt and Kaiser Chiefs of South Africa. It's being played in Casablanca in Morocco.、Uh, some are joking that it's an all South African final, as Al Ahly have a South African coach in Pizzo Masimani. Now I saw some figures this week that Simba of Tanzania spent 1.1 million dollars in the Champions League group stage, picking up 500,000 dollars in prize money, therefore making a loss of 600,000 dollars. Of course, it is expensive to play in the Champions League, with the costs of travel among the biggest expenses. But、uh, Ida, what's the main objective, would you say, of playing in the Champions League? Is it making money, or is it the prestige,、uh, putting your country, your club, and your players on the map? And to think, Steve, that the prize money was actually upped a few years ago, meaning that it was worse before, you know, because the champions now get 2.5 million dollars, which is a million more. Uh, than before, but look, it shouldn't be about prestige because prestige alone, as we know, doesn't pay the bills. And as we always say, Steve, football should be a business. But how can a business conduct itself when it's not even breaking even at the bare minimum? Prestige, Steve, as we see in Europe and other places, should merely complement the prize money that comes with either getting to certain stages of the competition or winning it. And it's only worse for the CAF Confederation Cup, whose prize money is even less. It's 1.25 million dollars for the winner in、uh, Africa's second tier. So pray tell, Steve. Just think about how much less it's going to be for the CAF Women's Champions League if or when it does get going. And all this begs the question: you know, is it realistic to participate in these tournaments? Is it economically and commercially viable? Calf Steve needs to get its act together about this. And before we go any further, I know what the response to that statement would probably be. You know, the proposed African Super League. 
And we'll get to that shortly. But there is a need to attract more sponsors to African football competitions. And sure thing, I know this is an old song, but it doesn't make the reality any less true. These competitions need to be made more attractive. The marketing, the TV rights. Steve, there has been a TV blackout on African football for two years now. After CAF cancelled their TV rights deal with uh, the French agency Lagardier. And we know how big TV rights are in Europe. I mean, the money that comes from that alone can carry a lower tier club, for example, for a season. And going back to the African Super League, Steve, the proposed solution, you know, to many of these problems we discussed today, FIFA and CAF saying that it will inject $3 billion over five years, that being the African Super League. But at the same time, the clubs will need to invest $100 million into the African Super League over the same period. As I always ask, how many clubs can realistically afford that? So lots of seemingly unrealistic situations here, Steve, and uh, hopefully a feasible middle ground can be found. Yes, sure. Well, thanks, Ida. And as soon after the Champions League final, the Tokyo Olympics are coming up, officially starting next Friday on the 23rd. But the football tournaments begin before then. So next Wednesday, the women's competition kicks off. Africa's representatives Zambia take on the Netherlands. And then next Thursday, the men's competition gets underway. Egypt playing Spain, Ivory Coast up against Saudi Arabia and South Africa playing the host Japan. More on that next week. So racism has come to the fore again in European football with three black England players all suffering abuse in the hours after missing penalties against Italy in the European Championship final as Marcus Rashford, Jadon Sancho and Bukayo Saka. Well, this has led to more thoughts and reflections on the issue of racism in football and we've heard from Nigeria international Joel Obi. Now, last season, Joel Obi was racially abused by fellow player Michelle Marconi of Pisa during an Italian Serie B match against Obi's Chievo. That was last December, ultimately ending with Marconi being suspended for 10 games in May. Now, Obi, who started his career at Italian Giants Inter Milan and also played for Torino, spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Akaleji about the incident, looking back and saying that he was surprised that the abuse came from a fellow professional. Yeah, I will, I will be disappointed because he's a footballer like me and we footballers will have to give example to the, for other people, you understand, like other people, um, in the environment, we have to be an example to others. So that's my big disappointment in, on him because I think um, as we, we were playing football, uh, it's, it's, it's something we love and we have to respect football. You know, respect people watching us, respect people paying their money to to buy football stuff. So, and that's why we need to be an example to them. Some black players have faced racism in Italian football. You know, Koulibaly was a victim. Your friend, um, Simi Wankwo with Crotone, he had it. Um, you've suffered it and all that. Um, do you think it is possible for racism to completely be kicked out of football, not just football, in, in the society, everyday life? For me, it's very difficult, and but we have to fight for it. It's our right 
to kick it off from football, from the society. So we can't give up like that. It's something that's been since slavery um, thing. So we can't keep keeping quiet. We have to fight for it, and surely one day, I hope we can stop. You, you, you've been a good example because when it happened, you did not throw tantrums or anything. You decided to be very quiet, calm, until the, the, this particular footballer was punished. Um, as you continue to play football now, what would be your message to other players who possibly could have such a bad behavior within them? Yeah, I think um, these issues... We have to, if it happens to you, have to speak up. Yeah, it's important because if you keep keeping quiet, nobody's going to speak for you. You have to speak up. So during the game, I was trying to calm myself down because any action can be sanctioned by red card or maybe taken um, badly, you understand? So, but in my mind, and I was hot, very hot. So even during the second half, the guy was like trying to like, Beg me, all these things, but I was like calm. I didn't take any reaction or bad reaction. I was just telling him, don't speak to me. A racist guy can't speak to me. So, and everyone in the, in the pitch heard about what he said. So that's the, that's, that's what happened. And, and I think today we have to speak. If you don't speak, no one's gonna speak for you or no one's gonna react for you or fight for you. We've, we have to fight our fight. You've been doing your holiday now. You've been trying to give back to the society. I've seen you've been traveling around, um, giving back to your community. How important is it for you to give back to those people that um, are not as privileged as you are as a footballer? Well, I'm very happy with what I'm doing for my community because I know, like, I know where I came from, and I was one of them before I left. So the, the little I can, <laughs> I will surely do that because... I know what they are passing through. The the, the 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 system is not okay, and and everyone in life needs your needs our help. You understand? So the little I can do, I'll keep doing it, and and their prayer will lead me to my final destination. And in terms of your final destination, I mean, you're a Christian. I see most times you try to quote the Bible. Um, do you have a favorite verse in the Bible, or some something that you like to say that you know is from the Bible that? Motivate you, help motivate you in any way. Mine is love your neighbor as yourself. That is it. We have to love each other, like share the love because it's too much, it's big and we have to share it, share it, share it. Even I prefer like not okay, but my neighbor is okay. So that's my, my own. Just love your neighbor. The man who puts his neighbor before himself. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So I believe in that word and I will keep believing in, on it and doing my best. That's Nigeria International, Joel Obi on his football and a bit on his faith as a follower of Jesus, uh, quoting the verse, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we're revisiting this topic of racism in football yet again, Ida, and Joel Obi saying that footballers must stand up for themselves when they get racist abuse. And that question from Sheena there still remains as to will racism be kicked out of football, especially when we look at what happened after the European Championship final with the abuse of those England players who missed their penalties. The thing about it, Steve, is that there are lots of gestures from the authorities when situations like these happen. Unfortunately, without the necessary action to follow, if you ask me at least. I mean, sure enough... For a case like Joel Obi, well, the perpetrator, uh, Marconi in this case, was suspended for 10 games. 
But is that enough or more a slap on the wrist? And focusing on the Euro 2020 final, well, the thing about it is, and former Man United player Gary Neville actually said it perfectly, Steve, the minute, the minute that those three black English players missed those penalties, we all knew what was coming, you know, without even saying it. And it's sad that this is the world we live in, but action does need to be taken. And while three English ladies have started a petition in the UK, you know, that has taken a life of its own with over one million signatures uh, demanding the racists receive a lifetime ban from football matches. The UK's Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, also met with social media companies that was at Downing Street and they discussed, you know, how to better tackle online abuse. But Steve, whether there will be actual quantifiable results of all this is just another thing entirely. I mean, look, players have been taking the knee. Black players have been punished, Steve, for their reactions to abuse when they are the victims. We saw that with Moise Keane at Juventus, you know, when even his own teammates, the likes of Bonucci, turned on him, you know, saying that he's the one who provoked the Cagliari fans, who we know you know, at least a section of, have never needed provocation to put a black man down. And situations like these, Steve, are what make black players like Joel Obi think twice about reacting, you know, because they know that they, the victim, will be punished for reacting to abuse or assault while the perpetrators go scot-free. I mean, what a system. And it's not just about Rashford. It's not just about Sancho or Saka. It's the fact that structures have been in place to put down blacks in all levels of the sport. We're talking from the players to the coaches to officials. This really is a blanket problem. So just to back what Obi says, will racism ever end? Probably not. But the fight has to continue. Yeah, thanks, Ida. And uh, Stuart, a great shame to see those penalty misses resulting in racist abuse for those three players. Uh, Players like Harry Kane spoke out, but uh, is it okay for us to keep on saying that it's only a small minority of fans in Europe who behave in this racist manner? Steve, like all decent people in England, I am deeply saddened and profoundly ashamed of the people in my country who racially abuse black players in the England team. In our feature on Ricky Hill recently, we commented on how he was one of the first black players to play for England at a time when it was unusual. But these days it's commonplace, which makes it all the more shocking that people should react to that strange coincidence that the three players who missed the penalties in the final were black. Racial abuse is simply unacceptable. And the social media platforms which allowed it to happen are almost as guilty. I really hope that our government will put in heavy penalties on social media platforms which facilitate this vile racial abuse. Now, going back to the players, it took real courage for a 19-year-old Bukayo Saka or 21-year-old Jadon Sancho to come onto the field as a last-minute substitute and immediately take a penalty. And yes, it is only a small minority, but it's no less repulsive for all that. 
Indeed. Thanks, Stuart. More on penalty shootouts later as we ask if there's any better alternative. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and our website is planetsport.tv. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. To social media now, last week we asked, are you in favour of playing the Confederation Cup and Champions League finals at neutral venues, as CAF has begun a new policy of playing club competition finals over one leg at a neutral venue. So we had the Confederation Cup final being played on neutral ground in Benin. This weekend, the Champions League final again at a neutral venue in Casablanca in Morocco. So this is how European club finals are played, but uh, is it the right model for Africa? When travel is allowed after COVID, will fans be able to afford to travel given the high cost of flights in Africa? But on the other hand, is this a fairer way of playing the final as the two-legged contest had many allegations of dirty tricks and biased refereeing? With your comments, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ash Tikiwa. Thanks, Steve. And we start today on Facebook with Far Jack Dos Santos Eric in Cameroon, who says, I think the new format should be accepted without any doubt. And Emmanuel Beginu in Benin agrees, saying, I see nothing bad with this decision. But Robin Justin in South Sudan takes the opposite view. It is not the right decision, says Robin, as fans will not be able to travel there. On to WhatsApp now with Philip Momo in Sierra Leone who says, Yes, I think this idea of having one match to decide the final of African football is good. And here's a voice note from Peter in Kenya who agrees. This final to be played in Africa, we play home and away. But in England, Champions League was being played on neutral ground. So my answer will be yes. And that view is also shared by Kehinde in Nigeria. My own observation is that to play the CAF Champions League final at the neutral ground is very, very okay. And it's going to be one leg because it's just like Champions League. So there's no problem. I like the idea. And find a good referee that's not going to buy us. So it's good like that. But Paul A. Mendy in the Gambia says, Concerning the CAF Champions League, I think it should be two-legged because you have to favor the fans who will be there to cheer and boost the spirits of their players. I mean, it should not be played at a neutral ground. And Vincent in Zambia agrees. Actually, I think a one-match final is not fair because not all the fans can manage to go there. And as you know, adhering to COVID-19 restrictions and guidelines, some of the fans will be disadvantaged, says Vincent. And there's another voice note from Jameson Martin Banda in Malawi, who also feels that a one-legged final will be difficult for the fans. If we compare to Europe, European countries are very rich. It will be very difficult for us, the Africans, to move and watch the matches. So this is not a good idea. The high cost of travel is a point also picked up by Emma in the Gambia. Having neutral grounds in the African Champions League is a good idea. But the problem here is poverty, says Emma. There are many clubs in Africa, but 90% of their fans can't afford the air tickets to watch their teams in the finals. And Sambo One in the Gambia makes an interesting point on the topic of cost. I'm in support of playing the African Football Championship in a neutral venue, simply because it's less expensive than the two-leg home-and-away system. Yes, 
It will not be easy with traveling fans at the start, but with time, they will get used to it. So Sambo One making the point there that for fans wanting to support their teams at the away fixture of two-legged finals, they'd have to travel anyway. Bizwe Kinjakwa sent us his thoughts from Malawi. Playing finals at a neutral ground to me is not a problem, says Bizwek. But there is a problem that's due to logistical issues. In Africa, many fans who bring the vibe of football for the matches are not well-to-do people and can't travel long distances to watch their team. Poverty has increased the level of corruption in Africa and sport has not been spared. Even in one-legged finals, referees still can be biased and can favor the team that gives them the value they need. And Arinaitwe Emi in Uganda sees grounds for longer-term optimism. I hope we shall get used to this new development with time, says Arinaitwe. As for travel expenses, now it's tricky due to pandemic, but later having one-legged finals will be normal and we shall enjoy them. And Alfred Bezai in Malawi is also positive. It's a good development, says Alfred, because no one will have an advantage over this system, although the number of supporters patronizing the games will be greatly reduced due to the huge travel costs. But overall, it's a plus to football management, because at least the playing field has been leveled. And Lamine Jaite in the Gambia agrees. It's a good idea, says Lamine. It didn't make any sense to play a two-legged final because always the home team will get the favor of the official. Traveling to matches will be difficult, but overall, CAF has done a great job with this decision. And we'll leave the final word this week to Cheno Jalo in the Gambia, who puts both sides of the argument together well in this voice note. I will give a yes and a no answer. Yes, because I believe it goes with modern standards of club football like UEFA does that is playing the Champions League final on a neutral ground. It will give fans the opportunity to experience other cities in Africa as well. I also believe it will give chance to local fans of the host city to have a taste and enjoy the beauty of club football. Take for example, if Al-Ahli and Kaiser Chiefs are to play in Banjul, I will have the opportunity for the first time in my life to see the Cairo Giants, my favorite club in African football, play. Moreover, Playing the final on a neutral ground will boost tourism and serve as a source of advertising for clubs. No, on the other hand, because of the high cost of traveling and poor infrastructure in other parts of Africa. Playing it on a neutral ground will also deny low-income earners of watching their favorite teams. So there you have it, Steve. Overall, our correspondents this week are broadly in favor of CAF introducing one-leg finals at a neutral venue but concerns remain over the high costs that fans will have to pay to travel to support their teams. Well, thanks, Ash. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ash Tekiwa. Thanks to everybody who got in touch. Uh, Let's go back to Stuart Weir in the UK now. And as we look back at the Euro 2020 final, most would say that Italy did deserve it, but the manner of England's defeat once again shows the cruelty of penalty shootouts and the scars that the penalty misses leave on players. Indeed, we heard the commentators talking of how England manager Gareth Southgate wanted to make amends for his miss in a shootout in the semi-finals of Euro 1996 against Germany. Now, Italy won the 1968 European Championship final in a replayed match. We hear that the semi-final win in that competition came in very unusual circumstances. Uh, But first, Stuart, how did we end up with penalty shootouts? And is there any realistic alternative? 
Well, Steve, I have said repeatedly that the structure of the European Championships is wrong. 36 games to get from 24 to 16 teams. Then it's a straight knockout. And of the 15 games in the knockout stage, four were decided in extra time and four on penalties. I mean, now that's all great for the spectators, creating an exciting spectacle, but it doesn't ensure that the best team wins. Italy are champions of Europe, but in the final and semi-final, they had to rely on a penalty shootout to win. And as I say, penalty shootouts are really exciting with that unique combination of skill, luck, and who copes best with the tension and the pressure. Penalty shootouts have been around for a while. They were first introduced in club football in 1970, uh, first used in the World Cup in 1982, Prior to that, we used to replay games. And if you can remember back to 1979 FA Cup, Arsenal played Sheffield Wednesday five times to get a winner. They drew 1-1, 1-1, 2-2, 3-3, and finally Arsenal won 2-0. And in a tournament in that era where there was no time to replay the game, the result was sometimes decided by the toss of a coin. And Italy, the current European champions, previously won it in 1968, where they defeated Russia, or USSR as it then was, by drawing lots correctly after drawing. Then in 1993, FIFA introduced the concept of the golden goal. Rather than playing extra time for a set period, which can still result in a draw, teams played until one team scored, and that was the game over. I don't know about you, Steve, but I remember as a kid, we used to play next goal wins. So it's as old as that. And probably the best example of that was the 2000 European Championships when France defeated Italy when David Trezeguet scored the golden goal. But apparently the police didn't like golden goal because it meant that a big game came to a sudden and dramatic abrupt end and gave the stewards no time to organise getting fans out of the stadium in an orderly fashion. And at one stage, and I can remember this in local football, the number of corners gained was used to decide the winner. But one thing we cannot deny is that penalty shootouts produce incredible drama. Think of the 1992 Africa Cup of Nations, Ivory Coast 11, Ghana 10. And 14 years later, Ivory Coast Cameroon needing 24 penalties before Ivory Coast won 12-11. And should you be interested, Steve, the current world record for the longest penalty shootout was in the Namibian Cup in 2005, where there were 48 penalties taken before KK Palace beat Civics 17-16. Now, in 2017, research suggested that the team taking the first penalty had an advantage because the team taking the second penalty was always under pressure because they tended to be trailing in the shootout. And FIFA then introduced the ABBA sequence, as they called it, with teams alternating so that each team would take two penalties in a row the way you do in a tennis tiebreaker. So uh, you know, that meant that each team, if all penalties were scored, would take it in turn to be ahead. But they then abandoned that after a year because of a lack of support for it and the complexity of it. Finally, spare a thought for Brazil in the 2011 
Copa America when they missed four penalties in a row. Steve, penalty shootouts are exciting, but they're also brutal and unsatisfactory. But if there isn't time to have a replay, I'm not sure that I know of a better solution. Yep. Okay. Well, asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week. Uh, Is there any better alternative to penalty shootouts? Uh, What are your thoughts? As we heard there, there used to be a replay of the match, but uh, of course, that's very difficult logistically, especially with the crowded calendar these days. Uh, What about playing on until someone scores, as Stuart mentioned, Uh, maybe using match statistics to decide the winner, Uh, the team that had the most corner kicks, or maybe even the team that had the most goal attempts or shots on target or should we go back to just tossing a coin to decide uh, who the winner is give us your thoughts on this love to hear your views you can go to our facebook page planet sport football africa and post a comment there or send us a whatsapp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero that's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero what would be a better alternative to penalty shootouts? And you could be as creative uh, as you like. We'd love to hear your suggestions. Thanks, Stuart. Should have a quick word about Lionel Messi, by the way, winning the Copa America with Argentina, his first title with his national team. A couple of weeks ago on the show, we asked, who's the greatest, Messi or Ronaldo? And uh, the majority were saying Ronaldo, one of the reasons being that he won Euro 2016 with Portugal. And now, if you're on the Messi side, your case is stronger now, as he is a Copa America winner. But uh, we won't go into that one again right now. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers at Ash Tikiwa in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.